What's up everyone and welcome into the Buffalo Sports Collective. It is September 12th, 2022. We are on the the post NLL draft day when we were recording this. This is Sunday night. A lot of football action just finished, but uh we're not going to be talking about much football on this one if at all any. We're uh, mainly talking about the Bisons and then a lot of lacrosse action, not just for the PLL, but the NLL draft which took place on Saturday. I have a uh little issue with what happened but other than that i was pretty happy with what the bandits did and what the league overall did but uh phil uh how how are you doing today doing pretty awful uh football yeah, you know. know it really it can taketh and it can giveth away and uh we were riding high on thursday and then fantasy football kicked in and out of 16 teams in our guillotine league it looks like i am going to be out week one i've never been out this early Normally, I am in at least the top five for the last couple of years, and this it hurts. It hurts quite a bit. It's one of those things that, you know, it's, that's what fantasy football is. Like, I really liked my team. I thought the team was good, and just everybody week one decided to not show up whatsoever. So hopefully this podcast and talking about the the, the bandits, because we, we know how uh, we're about to talk about the bison. So hopefully talking about the bandits will change my mood around a little bit and get things going. Phil, you know how we've been in sync for quite a while now? Yes, yes, I do. So I'm going to try to put you in a cheerful mood before we start this episode. So the year, the first year we ever started the guillotine draft, who was the first one out? You, you were. I was, I was. That same year, I had CMC in our CFFL league. You also have CMC in that same league. I was out week one, and I won that league. You might be out week one. You also have CMC. I'm not saying it's going to happen, but you were the favorite going in, and uh, we're so in sync, I wouldn't doubt it if you also go and win that league. I mean, I've been rooting for you because this is year six, and we're still trying to get you a championship, but I mean, if if I can't win it, you're the second best one to win it, and I'm just saying all the ingredients are there to repeat it if we truly are in sync. It's a it's a long way to go for that. It's a long season, but uh, I'll take it if I can get that win. I will take it. I mean, I just any win, any championship win this year. Now that I'm, I have only two leagues left to focus on. Ah, uh, it still hurts. All right, let's get into it. Yeah, yeah, we got the BSC <laughs> CFFL, and I'll also be in the guillotine one. But if you want to track <laughs> along with our uh, loveth and hateth of fantasy football, you can follow along with us on Facebook and Instagram at Buffalo Sports Collective and on Twitter at Buffalo Sports Co. Don't forget to subscribe to our channel wherever you listen to podcasts. Check out our website at buffalosportscollective.com and check for the time breakdowns in the description of the show. So we will start with the Bisons here. It's the only baseball action we're going to be talking about today, Friday. Game two, because remember, we were able to talk about game one on our Saturday show because we had to push that because of the Bills game. They lost four to three. Algary once again struggled. Don't understand why they keep tossing these guys kind of guys out when they're struggling. Went two and one third of an inning, allowing three earned runs. Schneider, Large, and Tally all had one hit in an RBI in the losing effort in this one. Saturday, they lost four to one. Francis, Three straight walks to start the game, Phil. Three straight, unbelievable. Him and Algary are killing this team right now. He was able to get out of the inning, only allowing one run, but it's just, it was ugly. Tally went two for four. Schwecky went one for four with the only team's RBI, and the team in general went one for 12 with runners in scoring position. It's not 
going to get you there. And uh, I mean, it was an ugly overall final two games here after a start of three and zero in this series because Sunday was rained out. So they finished the series three and two. They did finally win a series, but it's not the direction we thought it was going to go when we stopped recording on Friday night. Yeah, having them get that three-game series, that three wins in a row was huge, and then coming back and not even getting one of these last two is just absolutely not what you're looking for at the end of this series and the end of this season. As it's slowly starting to wrap up, you need as many wins as possible. This is just not good to immediately drop back into a two-game losing streak. Even if you split this one-and-one, at least you're not on a losing streak, and losing both of these hurt quite a bit. Even though the pitching... The, there was a couple pitchers that hurt the team. Like you said, Algary and Francis did not do very well, but the pitching as a whole is still doing pretty well overall. I mean, four runs in each game is really not that bad. The offense only getting three and one is what really hurts you more than anything. I mean, holding a team to four, you hope your offense can at least get four runs, maybe five, maybe six, but only getting three and one, no matter what the pitching does, you're likely not going to win those games. So the offense, I think, to me, is once again the bigger story, especially after toward the end, the last couple of series before this one, the offense really looked like it was starting to get better, starting to click. All the players started to hit again, and I know that they got a few guys pulled up, which hurts the roster quite a bit, but I really just thought the offense was going to be a little bit better, a little bit more powerful, and a little bit more consistent toward the end of the season here, and it's starting to drop off once again. And again, four runs each game is really not terrible for the pitching staff, and with the offense only putting three and one, and going 1-12 and with runners in scoring position in second game, you're just not going to win games that way. Yeah, 100%. I mean, the hitters did not do what they needed to, especially after the start of the series. You thought, okay, the hitters are alive, the pitchers are doing well. It's mostly just the two pitchers that have been struggling all year that I have an issue with, is Algar and, and, um, and Francis. I, I just I don't understand the value of them staying in the AAA league when they could go down to double a very easily and try to fix what they're messing with with weaker hitters i mean triple a is the level right before the majors obviously i just i i'm they did the same thing with lawrence last year and i've said it over and over you send him down to double a get right and call him back up to triple a and he's dominant i just don't understand what their hesitation is i know they've been struggling with pitchers this year not having any starting pitchers but you're not using either guy in a starting pitcher role. So it's not like you're going to be losing a a guy that can go five, six, seven innings in this in this with this team because you're not letting them do that. And I, I don't think they deserve the time because they haven't really performed it in the small amount of innings they've been given. But it's not like you're going to be losing this high value starting pitcher. You're losing another reliever when there are plenty of relievers in the system that you could just call up and do exactly what they've been doing. They can't do worse than what Francis and Algary have been doing. And this is no shot at them personally. It's just the shot at them as players right now because they have not been pr- 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 producing at all. I mean, they've been over what it's six ERA for one of them and over a five and a half for the other one. It's just, it's an ugly performance. I just wish that the team would do something to try to get them right rather than just keep sending them out every three or four days just to get lit up again. Yeah, and it really, I think to me it would depend on exactly kind of what you were saying is like who's in double-A to make that jump. Is there anyone that's performing really well at that level that can come in? And like you said, there's likely not anyone who's going to be able to do worse than what they're putting out there right now. So I think the question would be just, not only in just not rushing a double A player's development. So even if someone in double A looks like they're ready, I mean, it's up to the organization to know that that player can make the jump and is ready for that jump and is ready for that opportunity versus these guys who toward the end of the season here, they're veterans. And it's just, again, it's toward the back end of the season. It's it 
you're likely not going to get them fixed this year, I guess is what I'm kind of saying. So unless someone from AA was really ready to make that jump and make the push to see how they would do in AAA, which I think to me, this is the time to bring them up and give them a tryout for AAA to see what you have for next year, see what that player can do. There's got to be someone in AA who's having a pretty good season or good enough season to get that opportunity in AAA that you can send one of these two farther down to AA to at least start and even if it's just a little bit of a spark for them to kind of get them moving like Lawrence did, even if it, you know, is helping them fix things, but at the same time, they're fighting for their own, you know, professional careers. So maybe it gives them a little bit of a spark and a little bit of a fire underneath them to fix what's ever going on and try to get back to that AAA level and then eventually back to the majors. So I think it would be nice to see a whoever is the top player in AA get moved up, give them a AAA tryout and see how they perform and also see what you have for next year as well. Yeah, they're sitting at 69 and 64, five and a half games back of Durham, and they've got 12-game window to try to catch back up because right now Rochester, Syracuse, and Charlotte are all eliminated from the uh, the division right now, and you've got Norf- Norfolk, who is seven games left, Worcester is 11, and then Lehigh Valley is three games out, scranton Wilkesbury is two and a half, Jacksonville is two, and then obviously Durham is leading the division. you got four more series, really only three and a half series left, and uh, time's running out, Phil. Time is running out for this team, but we'll go over the BSC update. Quiet, quiet two games. Only two games, but they were very ugly. Phil, you scored one and a half points. I scored minus one. So you uh, you gained two and a half points on me. Yeah, really, really extended into that uh, 200 point lead you have on me. Re- really cut it down with that two, two and a half point uh, little boost I got. Really helped me out down the line. So that's exciting. Good, good for my team. At least we went positive. I guess we can say that. Yeah, yeah, it's one thing better than I did. So, uh, yeah, kudos to you. Kudos to you. But are, are there any changes you're making to your team? No, I think we, uh, we're we getting Lopez back, so that's exciting for me. I mean, hopefully he comes back, tears it up, and then gets called right back up, and that would be great. But it's either way, it's kind of the move I'm looking for. I mean, Marino, I don't know. We'll, we'll kind of play a wait and see to see if he gets sent back down next time because right now it doesn't matter who you get offensively. It doesn't seem like anybody's really doing much, so. Yeah, I'm just going to keep rolling out my uh, team. I think they all deserve to be on a championship team, so I'm just going <laughs> to keep them on there How and rude. Uh, let them roll to the finish. Well, I mean, I, they, they technically are going to be unless you somehow uh, put up okay. 190 points in the next, what, 20 games? <laughs> well, when Lopez has a home run derby and hits eight grand slams in one game, we'll see. We'll see then. We'll see. But I guess we'll also see what's happening in the next series here. We're facing Syracuse Mets 56 and 79. Buffalo, like I said, is 69 and 64. Mets have scored 651 runs so far this year. Buffalo is 581. Mets are allowing 755 runs so far this year. Buffalo is at 586. We'll start with the hitters. Mets. 13th in walks, they're at 494. Buffalo is up at 6 at 569. Buffalo is second in strikeouts, so they strike out a ton. They don't walk a ton. They've struck an out. Struck, struck an out? Is that the... Is, struck out, struck, I think is all you Struck out, there for. you go, there you go. We got to it, thank you. That's why I have a co-host. 1,268 strikeouts. Buffalo is down at 15th at 1122. They also don't steal a bunch of bases. Mets are 20th in stolen bases at 123. Buffalo's at second at 161. And then averages, once again, Syracuse dead last in the IL East. Actually, the IL, the whole conference, 237 hitting just. It's uh, pretty ugly. Buffalo is down at 16, so not much better, 245. 
pretty much all the stats for this series go in the favor of the Buffalo Bisons. The big one that is has been a problem for the Bisons all year long. And I think this series especially, and not only this series, but the runs scored between these two teams. I mean, the records kind of show that Buffalo is the better team overall, and I think they are. But I think this specific stat is what Buffalo has been missing all season long. And I think that is just the one thing that Buffalo... I feel like they could just be a much better team if they had any power hitting. But the runs scored, if you look at all these stats outside of home runs, Buffalo seems to have the better hitting team overall. But then the home runs, the Mets have 152, and Buffalo is still dead last at 86. And the runs scored is about 80 runs difference, and the home runs is about 70 runs or close to 80 runs difference as well for 80 more home runs for the Mets. And that is exactly where all the runs scored for the Mets, kind of where that difference is in runs scored versus Buffalo. And I think that's just the big thing Buffalo's been missing all year. I think this team could be just that much better if they had a few more players with some pop and a few more players with just some of that ability to hit a home run to get some of these. I mean, how many games have the Bisons lost by one or two runs. And if you have those players that can get that home run, that is possibly the one or two run difference in so many of these games. So I think next year, especially as the the Toronto organization as a whole, I think that's something they need to look for in their development system is a few more power hitters. This team is just awful, just awful at hitting for power, hitting for home runs. And I'm not ever a fan of teams that are just completely top heavy and can only hit for home runs. I, I like the way... Buffalo is well-rounded with their ability to hit and score with the small ball, but at the same time, you need players that can hit home runs, and that's where the run-score difference comes between these two for the hitting, and it's just, I feel like Buffalo could just be that much better of a team, and I think they honestly could be the runaway favorites in this division had they had a little more pop in their offensive lineup. So we'll move over to pitching, and it's not much better for the Mets here. They're 19th in ERA at 520. Buffalo is 4th at 4.17. They also allow the 6 most walks in the league. 547 Buffalo is down at 18th at 430. And then they are 19th in average against at hitters are hitting 265. Buffalo is up at 2nd at 237. So polar opposites in pretty much every category so far that we've listed. If there is ever a time to play a team like the Mets and have a get-right series, take every single game, sweep the series completely, have your first sweep of a team this entire season. This is it. The Mets are just awful. I mean, no offense to that organization, no offense to that team. They're having a very bad season. All of their stats, for the most part, are just not good. They don't really compare with Buffalo other than the home runs and other than the runs scored. Overall, Buffalo is the better team And again, if this is any time in the year where you need a series where you can go 6-0 and put some distance in the standings, try to gain some ground in the standings and just have a really solid get right kind of momentum swinging series, this is absolutely it. I think this is kind of a gift to the Bisons to have the Mets right now because I think more than ever they need this series. So they're pretty much carried by three hitters. Mark Vientos, third baseman, hitting 280, 24 home runs, 72 RBIs. Daniel Polka, first baseman, 266 with 25 home runs and 73 RBIs. And then Travis Blankenhorn, still the best last name I've run across so far this year. Second baseman hitting 267 with 15 home runs, 55 RBIs. And then the one pitcher that has a decent ERA. I mean, when when your team has an ERA of 5.20, there's not very many pitchers that are really good. One and two with a 3.68 ERA in 10 starts, 22 walks, 37 strikeouts, and hitters are hitting 260. 
63. So based on all those numbers, I think his ERA is a little bit luckier than it probably should be. But for me, if you shut down those three hitters, if you contain those three hitters, you pretty much shut down that offense. And if if your pitchers can do it and give your hitters some you know wiggle room to play their small ball alert, it's uh it it could be a series that you're looking to get the brooms out. And I so know I said that on the last episode, and I might have jinxed them, and I might have just jinxed them again. But I'll take it. I'll take it. Look for the brooms. Yeah, Nate Fisher. I think this is one of the worst strikeout to walk ratios we've seen from a team's top pitching i mean normally it's closer to three to one this isn't even two to one this is this is less than that so even their top pitcher like you said when a team is rocking a 4.2 era they're not going to have great pitching as far as even their best pitcher and if he's their best pitcher 3.68 era is pretty pretty good era but at the same time like you said it's probably getting a little lucky and if that's the best they can roll out, hopefully this is a good series for the Bison's offense to really get going. As far as their top hitters, I would absolutely love to have both of those guys with the uh, 24 home runs and the 25 home runs. That sounds so nice to have on the Bison's. But like you said, as long as the pitching staff can take care of those three guys and mainly those two, keep them off the board with home runs. Or if they do get home runs, make sure they're only solo. I think this is a huge series for the Bison's. And if they want to try to gain any ground in this standings as the season wraps up, this is absolutely the series to do it. 100%. And we'll take care of that series in the first two games because I think the Thursday game is a late one. It's uh, the second to last home series. So if you want to get any tickets, uh, I will get there. I will get there now. I will get there now. But we will, uh, like I said, we will cover the next series uh, on our next show, uh, the next two games. But we'll move on to the PLL, Phil. Each week, we uh we cover this. We'll just just do a quick wrap up each week, just because the Buffalo Bandits have a few players playing in it. Number one, Whip Snakes versus the number five Water Dogs. We had an upset. First time the Whip Snakes have not made it to the finals in the four years of the PLL. The Water Dogs send them home in an eleven to ten victory. It caught the last fourth quarter of that. It was it was a uh, it was a fun comeback victory. I think they were down 10-8 Water Dogs did, and they scored the final three goals. So huge victory from the number five seed, huge upset, knocking down the Whip Snakes, who had one loss going into that game. Then the game that everybody in Banditland was, you know, watching if everybody in Banditland was actually watching the PLL here. Number three Archers took on the number seven Chaos. Chaos, once again, do what they always do, won nine to seven, Third straight finals appearance. They're one and one so far. They won last year, lost in 2020. Cloutier, three goals, nine shots, two assists. All three goals were just dirty, all of them in the first half. Byrne had a goal and an assist, four ground balls. Smith, one goal, one assist, two shots, three turnovers. His one goal was on the power play. Huge one to kind of seal the victory. That was their ninth goal, I believe, to give them the 9-6 to six lead. Frazier, two shots, two turnovers. McKay, one ground ball. Adler, two shots, seven ground balls, one turnover. was 13 of 20 from the faceoff dot. Phil, the title game between the number seven chaos and the number five water dogs is next Sunday at three o'clock on ABC. Make sure you set aside some time. Bills do not play that Sunday, so there's no excuse not to watch some of your Buffalo Bandits play in the championship series looking to go for another victory and another championship and then bring that home to Banditland. I was going to say, and the uh, the Bills don't even play at that time, so it's great. It's perfect timing, great time to watch a championship game, especially, like you said, with all the Buffalo Bandits on the chaos, the Buffalo chaos looking good, looking in their third straight finals, and 
We'll see. It's kind of fun, like you said, to have a number seven, number five, a lot of upsets the entire time. Like, obviously, this whole series, you're missing the one, the two, the three, and the four. So a lot of upsets throughout these playoff series. And to see the number five and number seven seed in the finals is pretty fun. But overall, we want the number seven chaos to bring it home once again. And hopefully those guys can take that championship winning way, bring it back to Buffalo, bring it back to the NLL, and get over this championship series hump. Yeah, I think the championship from last year, 2021, will give them a bit of an edge over the Water Dogs who have never been to a finals. And I think a lot of these players not only were in the finals last year, but were in the finals of the NLL because of the Buffalo Bandits. But I think this is another another thing that they can put on their back to carry into the NLL action with the team that we actually cover full on, the Buffalo Bandits. If they can bring in another championship and have another banner to hang up and another ring to have for this team and another thing to bring into the locker room of say hey this is what you got to do I mean we've we were underdogs back-to-back times this is what you got to do to the win a championship I think just being in the finals alone let alone winning it is just another thing to bring with them back to Bannerland to help them next season to to look for that elusive fifth title that they've been missing absolutely and I just think Anytime you can get this kind of experience, even if it's not necessarily in the NLL, but anytime you can get championship experience, I mean, they've had it back-to-back finals in the NLL and now back-to-back-to-back finals in the PLL. This experience always helps, even if they didn't win it last year. Having this experience and just knowing what to do in finals, how to react, how to kind of go through the highs and lows of a game, it's all really important and it's all building toward hopefully a big, big year for the Bandits in the NLL. So, Phil, let's move on to our final segment, the Buffalo Bandits. Yes, the Buffalo Bandits, we're going to be covering them middle of September here, but that's because the draft just happened on Saturday. I don't know if you didn't know that. If you were in a cave somewhere, you were, you know, had amnesia in a coma, don't know, but if you missed it, we're going to cover it right now. They had the number 13th prick they could, they took. Before we even get into that, Phil, before we get into the playoffs, what were your opinions on the overall draft and the players that the Buffalo Bandits selected and kind of the direction they went with their team before we get into the actual names and, you know, all the details and stuff. Overall, I thought it was pretty interesting. It's not exactly how I expected them to go. I expected them to go this way with one, maybe two picks, but to see them go very defensive heavy, I thought was more just interesting. I think it's a very telltale sign of how they feel about their current youth on their offensive side of the ball. I mean, you look at, not only Smith and Byrne and the rest of their team, but they also had a lot of young guys like LaRue on the right side, like Miller and Vecine on the left side as well, and a few other younger players that we haven't even seen really play yet. So I think they just trust the depth they have on offense as far as young talent goes, that they really didn't need to look at offense too much in this draft. But I thought they would have gone with one or two offensive guys just to kind of have them, but to see them go... So defensive heavy was interesting, and I am, I'm not against it in any way. It was very just interesting to kind of watch it go down, but there was a very obvious thing that we saw them do in the entire offseason and now through the draft. They are going size, size, and just more size. And I think, I don't know how much the Colorado series just really got in their own heads of just this team needs to be bigger, they need to be more physical, they need to be stronger, but... That is absolutely what they did, not only throughout the draft, but even throughout free agency. Just every single person they seem to pick up is just adding a ton of size, a ton of defense to this team, even though, honestly, I don't think the defense was the problem in toward the end of the series there. But 
it's interesting to see, but overall, I kind of expected them to do this. I mean, coming out of that Colorado series, we said that they got pushed around a little bit more than they would have liked. So to see them go with a lot of young, gigantic defenders is not a huge surprise, but I would have... I thought they would have gone with a few forwards or transition or even a goalie earlier on in the in the first round. Yeah, we'll go over the first three picks here, the first three first rounders. Number 13, overall, they took Cam Wires, defenseman. He's 6'5", 220, lefty D-man. He will not be with the Bandits next year because he's going back to Loyola for his final year in 50. Uh, I'm sorry, 54 games in college so far, two goals, seven assists, but he's got 126 loose balls and 57 cause turnovers phil he's an incredible one-on-one defender number 14 overall dylan robinson if that last name sounds familiar because we're collecting all the robinsons <laughs> defenseman 6'2, 180 he's the brother of both justin and brandon brandon the forward that we just brought in and off in the offseason he returned to lacrosse this year after three years of hockey is good transition this year with the toronto beaches Filled in with the forwards as well. He's known as a Swiss Army knife. And then number 19 overall, Zach Belter. A defenseman, 6'5", 225. Went to niagara Wheatfield. He is currently at St. Bonaventure. 2022 MAAC First Team All-Conference. And he, in 36 games, he's got six goals, two assists, 74 loose balls. I'm sorry, sorry, 73 loose balls and 48 cost turnovers. So like we said, they went big. They went mean. They went huge. But they also are targeting, based on all those numbers, what me and Phil think is a more important stat than loose balls is cost turnovers. And two of those three guys have monster numbers in the cost turnover department. I think out of those three, the most interesting one to me, other than, you know, Wire's coming off pretty early as far as a big one-on-one defender, I think he will be a future kind of replacement for Priolo when he's ready to hang it up or for Brock, who they brought in this year when he's ready to hang it up. I think Priolo... Being his age, I mean, we've seen players play well, well into their 30s in the NLL, which still blows my mind with how incredibly physical it is that some of these players just, they keep going and they just make it work. But I think he, Warriors is going to be eventually a kind of replacement for that kind of player. But Robinson, to me, is the more interesting one. And not only because we have his two brothers, but he's kind of a little bit more of what I was looking for in a defenseman this year. And not just a bigger guy, but someone who is that Swiss Army knife, like you said, filled in with the forwards, has that transition ability. And to me, that is the biggest thing that the Bandits are still lacking. And even throughout this whole offseason, we didn't really get anyone to truly address the transition need that I think the Bandits have. But I think Robinson coming in could be that guy to be that defensive player who is just a little bit more of the offensive defenseman. I think that's something that the Bandits are missing. And even with a lot of these picks and a lot of their offseason picks, they went very defensive defensemen, one-on-one defenders, stay-at-home defenders, people who are going to play defense, get off the field, get let the offense do their job. And for the most part, with the way the Bandits play and with the incredible offensive talent the Bandits have, that's fine. But I think that's still an area that the Bandits need to fix, is that they are just missing the transition link between the defense and the offense. They have a few guys who can run up and score an occasional goal, but they really just don't have anyone who's going to dominate that transition position. But Robinson... Just getting back into lacrosse could be someone to look forward to in that kind of transition role as well as a good defender. Yeah, I, th- I think Robinson is pretty much the only one of the three that might be on the team next year. And even if he's on the team next year, I don't know how much he's going to contribute to it. I can see him being a lot of practice squad time and getting pulled up if there's injuries. Wires is definitely going back to college. I believe Belter's going back for his final year as well. So the two 
bigger of the of the three names that are going back to college, but I think it's more planning for what's happening after next year. Not just I think they're addressing the need moving towards the for, into the future because you got Priolo who's aging, you got Brock who's aging, Nick Weiss is in his 30s now, so you got a couple guys that are going to be phasing out. And yes, they're still great players and. They're, they're, they're tough guys, and, I mean, they contribute to the offensive end as well. But you got to start looking towards the future as well. And adding pieces to the defensive end after you had been addressing the forwards for so long, I think that's a good way to go through it. And that, and that trend continued with the number 73 overall pick from the Colorado deal, fourth-round pick. Ryan Sharkey, another defender, six foot 180 from Canisius, 39 games played so far, one assist, 70 uh, loose balls, and 29 cause turnovers. First team Mac, uh, I'm sorry, all Mac first team in 2022. And then, uh, then Phil, they actually started looking towards the forward group. Number 82 overall from the Philly deal with Nolan Clayton. Christian Watts, midi, 6'4, 193. He's from Siena. And then that trend also continued. 88 overall, fifth round pick, Austin Bloomberg's forward, 6'2", 200 pounds, 43 games played, 48 uh, goals, 11 assists, with 39 ground balls and eight cause turnovers. He's from St. Bonaventure, 2022 MAAC All-Conference second team. I think besides the Sharky deal... I think Watts and Bloomberg's were kind of, hey, we, we've we addressed the defense core with our first four picks. Let's look for a guy like a Nick Miller, who they drafted late last year, who turned into a, a heck of a player in his final year of college and into summer ball. I think both of these guys could, you know, depending on how they are this coming year, kind of turn into that if if they have good seasons. Yeah, the Bandits, especially being the team they are, being championship ready, championship caliber a lot of these picks even like you said two of the top three first round picks they took are likely going back to college so a lot of these picks are more developmental picks because there's simply not a lot of room on that roster or especially the active roster currently so like you said especially late in the draft I mean it's similar to the NHL we're just kind of taking a dart throw on some of these guys who might have the higher ceiling higher upside but might be a little bit more raw might need to just continue to develop their game and you're just hoping you hit on them you're hoping that they turn into something big but they're likely dart throws that you're just kind of keeping an eye on and you really don't know what they're going to turn into after their next year of development sharky i uh by far my favorite last name of yes. of the draft and i absolutely hope he makes the team at some point because I think that's just a lot of fun. And there should be some sharky signs out there, especially for a defenseman like the Sharks are swimming. I mean, there's just there's a lot you can do with that. Now, Phil, people are probably wondering what happened to pick 31. Well, they traded it and a third round pick in 2024 for defenseman Devin Maya. He played three games last year with San Diego, had eight loose balls and one cause turnovers. But again, Going size, 6'4", 210, 2019 second rounder, 28th overall. And Phil, this is this might indicate why they pulled the trigger on him. He went one pick before Buffalo had their pick in 2019 at number 29. So I don't, I'm not saying they were targeting him back in 2019, but it's a little suspicious that they traded the, the, the second round pick they had at number 31 and a third round pick for this defenseman when he was one pick ahead of them back in 2019. Yeah, 2019 Stamper of IL Indoor had his top 50 prospects out. Maya ended up being number 18. 
and let me know if this sounds very familiar from their entire offseason. He is a classic stay-at-home defender, playing a solid physical game without going overboard or taking undisciplined penalties, and he can get up the floor as well, but he plays just a very solid defensive game. He's another very big defender, stay-at-home, one-on-one, going to be just a very solid defender. It is something that they have targeted the entire offseason, and again, trading your second pick and a third future third round pick as well. I mean, it just seems like I I don't know what is in their mindset that they are so focused on this size and stay at home defender because he's going to be one obviously with the trade and he has some NLL experience that's going to come in and be an immediate impact on this team. So I guess like take your opinion on it because I've talked a lot about these defenders. What do you think their thought is going with such a large defensive team, very stay-at-home defender. Like, do you think they think defense was the issue in playoffs? Do they think, like, I, I just don't, 100%, I'm not upset with any of these picks. I like size on your defense. I like Priolo a ton. He's been, you know, one of the best defenders in the league for years and years. So getting someone of that caliber that's much younger, you know, just that size, obviously not quite the skill level he has because he's very on his own in that. It was almost a defender of the year again last year. But just getting that type of player. They seem to be targeting it a ton this offseason. Why do you think they are so kind of tunnel visioned on adding that to the team this year? I don't know. <laughs> I've been trying to wrap my mind around it as well. I mean, I, I'm in the same range as you wondering. I mean, Zed Williams killed him. I mean, it, there's That's no true. if, and, That's or buts true. about it whatsoever. He single-handedly won them that championship. And you can say Dylan Ward won it. I mean, their whole defensive core shut down the offensive unit. I thought, and I know they said it at the end of the year press conference, it was it was made known that they wanted to get bigger and tougher. I just thought that also meant that they were going to do that on the offensive end because you didn't have anybody that could break down the Colorado's defense. They couldn't get in front of the net, and I don't think they addressed that. I don't. I know they brought in Brandon Robinson, and I know he's a bigger body guy, but is he even going to be able to make the team? Is he going to be starting week to week? If he is, who are you taking out of that rotation? I know you're trying to replace Connor Fields, but is it Brad McCulley that's going to be stepping up? I know he's bigger bodied, but is he able to break down that defensive end and get in front of the goalie? I, I don't know. It's... That's the one thing that confuses me. I do not, I'm not worried about them drafting defense so heavily because some of these guys, you won't know what they are for a couple more years when they break into the league. And even then they got to, you know, work into the box game and develop their own game. So they got to break down that. Maybe they're thinking Sam LaRue because he's a bigger body guy as well. I just, I thought they were going to target more bigger bodied guys on the offensive end that can just sit in front of the net. That's why a couple of the forwards that we were matching were like six, 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 five. Some of the uh, Van Sheppen, that was one guy that I was really excited that was going to slide to Buffalo. Maybe that it was on their board. Maybe they were hoping Van Sheppen was going to fall down to him because that was a huge big bodied guy that could sit in front of the net. I'm, it's just the trade, the first three, the first four picks, all big bodied guys. It seems like they're, they're really focused on fixing the defensive end. That didn't seem like that was their main issue in the finals. It seemed like their whole offensive philosophy and their whole offensive crew just collapsed. And I know we, we don't want to keep hitting on that because it was happened way back in June. 
I love all the picks they made. I'm not complaining about the picks they made. It's just a different direction than I thought they were going to be going. Maybe they have another thing up their sleeve and because there's still a few more names out in free agency. There's a few more names that you know didn't get drafted. They, they might bring it in. There's a few more guys that just Thomas Vecine still hasn't signed. Colin Monroe still hasn't signed. Maybe... Maybe the Nick Miller is going to be the big body guy in front of the net. Maybe it's going to be Brad McCauley. Maybe it's going to be Sam LaRue. I don't know. But I just definitely thought that they were going to address that position. And again, maybe it was Van Scheppen. I don't know. And I think I'm kind of, you know, repeating myself at this point. But it's, it was, I'm not mad about the way they drafted. It's just a little surprising the way they did. But it might have been because they were drafting from the 13, 14, and 19 spot. And the board just didn't fall how they thought it would. But maybe it fell exactly how they thought it would. This is this is what stinks about not sitting at the or at the table and not knowing exactly what's going through their minds. Yeah, but even like the not even taking the draft out of it, other than the draft trade, because I think that adds to it because it's an immediate impact player that's likely going to be on the roster this year. It's kind of why you picked up that player. But even David Brock bringing him in again, he's another big bodied guy. McKenzie that they brought in six four two twenty five, another big bodied guy. Harnett seems to be more of a stay at home defender one-on-one very responsible defender that they brought in in free agency. So even their free agency moves that are going to be those impact players now, like you said, like for the future, the draft picks are fine for me for the future. A lot of these guys are starting to age out even a little bit. So you got to get these guys in, especially when they go back to college for another year, then they might be on the practice squad. They might slowly develop into NLL prospects. So you might not see them for two to three years before they're really a big part of this team. And by then, who knows what's going on with Priolo, with Brock, with some of these other guys they picked up recently. So I'm perfectly fine with them getting younger defenders and focusing on the future as far as that goes, because obviously you want players in here now that can start getting, you know, just continue to develop while you still have a full roster stack. So you want those guys in there now before you lose those guys and then you're kind of scrambling. So that's fine. But even the free agent moves and even that trade, it just, it screams, you know, big body defensemen. Like you said, Williams absolutely destroyed them. And as I am completely fine with them trying to kind of figure that out as far as that goes, but I would have just, like you mentioned, just, I expected them to go more of a big bodied forward and trying to get someone to be that Zed Williams role where you're not only scoring, but you're also setting those picks and you're disrupting that defense. Cause once a team kind of settles in on what the bandits are doing, not that it happened very often last year, they averaged what 14 goals a game. So the offense until that championship series where Colorado really hadn't figured out was, you know, humming on all cylinders and had an incredible season, but once a team figures it out, I feel like you just need that big bodied offensive guy to disrupt things. And maybe, like you said, maybe they think some of these younger guys like LaRue as, you know, maybe they think that that is going to be their role and they already have that on the team, but it was just interesting to see them not only in the draft, but also free agency focus so much on stay at home, big bodied defenders this year. Yeah. My only fear with that moving forward is the league is so quick. The, the game has changed to such athletes I'm just, I'm a little concerned with down the road. Again, you never know what these guys are going to turn into, but getting so big on defense, does it also equate to them being slower on defense? Are they going bigger bodied guys and they're going to start getting burned because some of these athletes are just so quick, so agile, they can just burn by these guys? Or is that the way they think the that is a good, hey, we're going to do this. Yeah, you're going to do this. Well, we're going to adjust and do it this way. So I'm wondering if more teams are going, 
you know, we're going to go quicker and faster on defense and Buffalo's going, Hey, let's get ahead of the game. We'll get bigger and stronger on defense and kind of shut down this, this quick paced offense. So it, it'll be interesting to test which way it works out. And I, again, I'm not mad about the direction that they're taking with this. I do think they needed to get bigger. I do think they needed to get tougher. It's just their forward group was very quick, very agile, very athletic, but they didn't have any bigger, tougher guys that are like battling in front of the net. That, that's the one area I thought and wish they would have addressed. But again, maybe, maybe there's something in the works because again, Steve Dietrich, besides that one small trade for Devin Maya, it's, it's pretty quiet in the trade front from Dietrich. And it's not usually that case. I mean, last year they brought in Connor Fields the year before that they, uh, they brought in a, a couple other guys, the Chris Coutier deal, the Mitch DeSnoo deal, Matt Gilray deal. There's always deals going down, and they're always massive deals. Just I'm, I'm waiting for that to happen. I, I think it's going to happen. I'm just waiting for it to happen. The only other thing I found interesting about the draft, and it was something that, again, it, it's a little more favoritism, I think, because I love goalies, and it's something I was hoping Goalie, for. Yep was that they just did not address goalie at all. Obviously, the top goalie that we were kind of both hoping for, that they might go after, who was supposed to be kind of, I don't want to say generational talent, that seems a, a little high, but just one of the best goalie prospects we've seen in a little while was taken before the Bants even had a chance. So obviously, you weren't going to go after him, but we still touched on a few other good goalie prospects, including one they drafted last year before he was ineligible. And I think it either shows that they trust Shanahan and the kind of development he's been going through over at the WLA for the Timbermen this last season. He was 5-1 and one with a 9.17 goals against average and an 8.02 save percentage. And then in playoffs, he was even better with a 5-3 and three record with an 8.47 goals against and an 8.23 save percentage. So maybe they just believe in his development. He's still a very young goalie. He has no NLL experience, which is fine when you have Vince in front of him. He can continue to learn behind Vince. So maybe they just believe in Shanahan and believe he is the future potential goalie of the Bandits whenever Vince decides to hang it up. But I thought that was also a little bit interesting to see them not target a goalie prospect at all, even in some of those later picks. Or Phil, or Phil. They know that Matt Vince is not going to retire for another 10 years, and they don't have to address it. I and mean, Shanahan's their future backup. I will I will take that as well. I will too. But, Phil, the, the only thing else I want to talk about this, which it should have been an incredible weekend. It ended up being an incredible weekend. It was a fun weekend for the NLL. The only thing that I have an issue with is, Phil, how does their streaming service for ESPN go down Five different times. And it wasn't just me because it was it was going down for everybody on Twitter was going, okay, what's the heck's going on? And it happened to go down every time the Buffalo Bandits were on the clock. Like they went on the clock for pick 13, whole thing went down. We didn't miss the pick, but the whole thing went down. Right before pick 14, whole thing went down again. Right before pick 19, the whole thing went down again. I don't understand how they can have something right. They did something right, streaming service for the NLL across all of America. It went all through Canada as well with TSN+. Plus. I don't know if they had the same issue, but the whole country was watching this sport, the future of the NLL, and your streaming service goes down. How does this keep happening for this league? Again, it makes your league look like a secondary child's league. It doesn't make any sense. This would never happen in the NFL. NFL did a whole streaming thing, and it didn't go down once. It's just, it's mind boggling how they can have this thing happen over and over and over. Just 
some they do something right and then it's two steps back. They have one step forward, two steps back. It's just when your whole country is watching, the, you you, have, you brought the ability to see the new generation of talent coming into the NLL into millions of homes that typically wouldn't be able to see this. Everybody loves drafts. Everybody loves seeing the future of the league coming in. And you screw it up by losing the broadcast multiple times. And it's not, even when they brought it back a few times, it was just silent. Like the one time it was just silent and they just showed the draft board over and over and over. It, it, I, it's so frustrating for a league we love so much that we want to see grow so much that we see how much potential this league has because of how amazing the sport is and how amazing the players on the field are. It's just, it, it, it. It drives me insane. I was going absolutely insane watching it on the couch, wondering, okay, is this just me? So I cleared out of the app. I restarted the Roku. I went back onto it. Nope, still down. So it's definitely ESPN+. Plus. It's just, I don't know if it was ESPN+, Plus that was doing it. I don't know if it was the league that was the problem. But something needs to be addressed and fixed because this can't be happening to a league that wants to take the next step. They wants to use the momentum from the NLL Finals that had the most fans in attendance in their finals that is growing the sport leaps and bounds that this can't be happening in this type of sport and have yourself be taken seriously it's just i shouldn't be on here ranting all the time about the mistakes the league's making when it's just so simple things that shouldn't be happening it's just it's it's so annoying and it's it's making me go insane for the little things that the league just can't get going right and it's exactly what you said about it's it's more frustrating from a place of passion than yes. anything else that we want the NLL to succeed. We want this league to do amazing. We love the bandits. We love going to the games. We love everything about the NLL. And you you have a great opportunity to stream the draft on ESPN Plus. Like you said, people can just kind of pick up whenever they want and look at this draft, look at this league and be like, oh, that's kind of cool. Let's go watch a draft. Let's watch some people be picked. And then obviously the announcers doing a good job, you know, explaining all the picks and talking about what's going on and showing some highlights and stuff. Exactly. So you have this thing where someone can just kind of drop in whenever they want, look at it and just kind of get interested in what's going on for a professional league. And then, like you said, then you lose the broadcast multiple times and, I was even mentioning to you that even watching the early picks in the first round when the bandits weren't up for quite a while, I was excited just watching the NLL draft, watching the graphics pop up about these player profiles and, you know, watching a player get picked, watching the commissioner talk about it and, you know, say who the pick was. And then the announcers and the broadcast, you know, going over the pick, what it brings to that team, what it means to that team and seeing the highlights pop up, a player profile pop up. Like it just felt very professional very exciting i was like oh man this is great get to watch a draft for a league that i love that we really haven't had that opportunity to do yet and then stuff like that happens where the broadcast cuts out especially as a bandits fan it cut out every single time the bandits picked and that is just beyond frustrating especially for a franchise that is one of the most followed in the entire league and for your broadcast to cut out every time buffalo picks you're gonna upset a lot of people in the nll if that if that happens and like you said it's it's one step forward two steps back where you finally get this draft streaming it's very exciting you get a lot of these top picks there you get to watch them get picked i kept mentioning that i love the hats for all these teams i thought it was a fun little draft hat i think it was really cool looking that they did very simple but very nice draft hats and i was just excited to watch the draft and then things like this happen that just frustrate the heck out of you and make it just seem again like you said just like a just 
a B league more than anything. And it's just so frustrating because you want this league that you can see the potential of. You can see this league turning into something big if they could just figure out some of these smaller little issues. Like if you just have a perfectly streamed draft and we don't have to have these complaints, then, you know, everybody's happy. And maybe you grab some new fans that happen to chime in on ESPN Plus and on a time where there was really nothing else going on at that time frame that someone just kind of waiting to watch some sports and they could pick that, pick it up and maybe get some new fans and then you, you lose them because of these broadcast cutouts. And then they, you know, turn to something else and say, well, I'm never going <laughs> to look at the NLL again. That was lame. So it just comes from a place of passion and frustration, but it's just the little things where, again, like you said, they take one step forward with an awesome idea to stream the first round of the draft. And then you take two steps back when the broadcast just keeps cutting out. Yeah. I love the broadcast personnel and, everybody that was on there, a whole production of it. It was awesome. Them knowing the players and the details of the players, it shows how much talent is actually a part of the NLL. It's just, like you said, it's the small details that they somehow keep screwing up year in and year out that I don't know why. It's just, it's not getting any better. I mean, sure, they might fix one issue over here, but another issue goes wrong over here. One thing gets fixed here. One thing goes wrong here. It's just... It, it needs to be, and, and maybe Brett Frude can come in here because he's only been on the job for 12 days now, 12 days. So maybe that's one part of the, the thing that he's going to be addressing, but it's just, like you said, it, it finally gets into homes and you even sent me the message. Like I, I'm so excited for this draft to come out. And then the site crashes multiple times. It's just, it it's, it's one thing that they need to address is just these small details of the actual league itself and the league will take the next big jump. Uh, that's what I keep waiting for. But Phil, with that, with that, I'm, I'm, I'm calming down. I, I'm safe in guillotine. So I don't know how uh, you're, you're hanging out over there, but uh, Phil, is there anything else you want to add to this episode before we close it down for the week? Other than the fact that it's a little bit of a bummer, I mean, you know, we have the Bills and we get to focus on them for a little bit, but the NLL will likely go silent for a little while a as little we bit, wrap yep. up the PLL championship with the Buffalo chaos. But once that is over, we likely are kind of just waiting for the NLL season to start. So that'll be a little bit sad. I mean, I know there's, there's always news coming and there's always stuff that we will keep an eye on and pay attention to and get you ready for the new season coming up probably faster than we expect, but this is really the last big, big NLL thing we have for a little while. So a little sad, but overall it was a fun draft to watch and just be a part of. And I think Buffalo did a good job. So that's exciting. And then we got the the bills to talk about once again, next episode. Yeah. We're still waiting on uh chase Frazier and Ian McKay to work out a new deal. I know they're under qualifying offers right now, but they need to sign a new deal. And then if Dane Smith is either going to be playing under the franchise tag or if they can work out a new deal for that too. So three big time named guys are still looking for a deal. They're not going anywhere, but they're still looking to sign name to paper. I mean, at least two of them for sure. If uh, Dane Smith's playing on the uh, franchise tag, but I guess uh, with that, Phil, we'll close it down on our next show. We'll bring any other, you know, bandits news that signs and maybe some of these signings are going to happen, which they typically do on Mondays because that's when our episodes air. We'll go over some Bison's news and then anything with the uh, actually, uh, no, we won't be able to preview the Bills game yet. We'll, we'll maybe bring out a fun game for the Bills or something like that on our next episode. And then, uh, like you said, Bison's are wrapping up and then Sabres have their prospect challenge this weekend too. So maybe we can get some Sabres in action in here. But with that, we will shut it down and thank all of you for listening to another episode of the Buffalo Sports Collective. Follow along with us on Facebook. 
Facebook and Instagram at Buffalo Sports Collective and on Twitter at Buffalo Sports Co. Visit our website at buffalosportscollective.com. Subscribe to our channel wherever you listen to podcasts and leave us that review on Apple and Spotify. Until next time, bye bye